Hello and welcome to this bonus content for the first episode of the Youth Work State of Mind podcast. Joining me for this uh, bonus content, as ever, for the main episodes is Ben. Hello. Hey, hey you're right, mate. I am good, thank you. It's lovely to see your face via the wonder that is Zoom. Yes. Other platforms are available. So for our first episode of the podcast, our main topic was about student ministry. And we heard from some amazing people and we had some fantastic conversation about it. So if you somehow haven't listened to that, go back, have a listen to it now, and then come back to this bonus content because it will make more sense. Do it, do it. Now, before we jump into our bonus content, uh, which is really, really cool, we're talking about university in particular. We both went to university. Yep. Believe it or not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't tell by listening to us sometimes. But no. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think it's that thing of, does attendance at university equal learnedness and wisdom? Who knows? Who knows? Why, what do you remember about what it was to be a Christian at university? I think my experience was quite different in the sense that I studied up in the Lake District I trained to be a primary school teacher alongside a whole bunch of outdoor ed students. What was Charlotte Mason was at the time St. Martin's College, part of Lancaster University, and then is now the University of Cumbria. And let's be honest, 900 students in one place, kind of smallish campus. It was like a, it was like a boarding school with a bar. It was, it was a lot of fun. Everyone knew everyone. And, and I actually, and that, that was really nice in the, in the sense that I think that therefore shaped shaped my uni experience and therefore shaped it as a Christian in that like you kind of couldn't really hide. Like the Christian union was like two doors down from the bar and we, you know, everyone knew everyone. So when you were dis- disappearing off on a Tuesday night to go to Christian union, it was like, great, you're going cracking. We'll see you in a bit. Like it's, it's, it's see you tonight. And you're like, and people knew it. And, um, and I guess the other thing was, was that like compared to other campuses, we had something like 5% of campus were Christians. Whereas I, I think the stat at the time was something like less than 1% of all university students were Christians or would say they were Christians. And I think, and I think that definitely shaped my experience that was like, we got to, I got to be involved. Like, so the size of campus and also just that sheer factor was we had such a different impact and we we're able to be a bit more overt in terms of what we believed and people accepted it and, and kind of rolled with it. And whether that was because Teachers are a bit more vocational and feel called to that or outdoor ed guys love to stand on a mountain and find Jesus. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but, but it maybe there was something in that. So, so it's probably a little bit different, probably from yours, because you, you, were, you were a city dweller for university. You were at Salford, which is different from Manchester, for those of you that are going to do that. But technically, Salford, Manchester combined is are the biggest university city in Europe, more students than anywhere else. How was living in a city, Dave? <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a city dweller anyway, so I I grew up in Bristol, and and then I did actually live in Manchester and commute. Controversial. I well, Controversial. yeah. <laughs> I think you know well, university for me. I was before I went, I was very mindful of the like, student culture, and so I whether rightly or wrongly, I don't know. But for me, I felt like it was the right decision. I kind of took myself away from university culture as much as I could. I didn't go into halls. 
I didn't live with any students. I lived with a bunch of Christians that I found just by kind of previous trips up and, and trying to make connections through churches. And I think that helped me kind of stay out of it a little bit. And I didn't go to any CUs or anything like that. And I was fairly reserved. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fairly reserved person anyway, but especially with my faith, I was fairly reserved and I just kept it for my projects and the relationships with people in my, in my class, which I ended up having good conversations with people about different things, but I wasn't like overtly hmm. Christian. I didn't go to kind of Christian events. I just kind of kept myself to myself. And I don't know, people will say, oh, that was right or that was wrong or, but it's just like what I felt at the time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I was, I was conscious about university culture and I didn't want it to affect me. So I tried to keep myself out of it as much as possible. So we talked about a lot of really cool stuff in the main episode of uh, the podcast, but we didn't really touch on the role of a chaplain in a school or university. Hi, I'm Andrew Clitheroe. I'm the uh, Anglican chaplain at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston. I've been there just over eight years. I began my ministry um, in a parish, but also as a chaplain in a school, and I'm now finishing my ministry as a chaplain in a university. And all the thread that runs through all of that is that um, it's such a privilege, really, to be a Christian and to be called to work amongst others in that setting. Being a chaplain, especially at a university, is a unique ministry role. Some students, they'll, you know, they'll hunt you out. They'll know exactly who you are. You're the first person they look for, whilst others won't know you exist at all for the entirety of their time at uni. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting role, isn't it, to hear about when we were talking to Andrew. And he started off by telling us about his start at the university, um, what his role looks like. Well, my role at UCLan is, is really strange. I had to work it out over three years. Somebody said to me before I started, don't do anything for three years. You need to get the measure of the institution. You need to feel the temperature of the water. So I, instead of delivering what I thought people needed or wanted, I decided, as a matter of policy, having sort of come up against this huge secularity, I mean, one of the senior staff when I arrived said to me, had, had me into his, his office and said, you know, we're not a religious institution. In other words, don't get religious here because you'll be out. This is a secular institution, he said. Um, so I, I, I sat in, well, it was almost a cupboard. It was a windowless room they gave us to begin with. I thought, I'm going to sit here and wait and see who God brings to me, and I'll shape my ministry around that. I'm not going to deliver Christianity um, or organize religion. I'm here. Let's see who comes to me, and we'll work it from there. And that's what I did. And I waited three years. I wasn't inactive for three years, but I, I watched very carefully what was going on and who was coming to see me. And in the end, I've realized in a very secular institution with all sorts of preconceived ideas about Christianity and vicars and priests and all that sort of stuff you've just got to get into under the skin of the institution and they've got to get to know you and it's you know there are thousands of there are about 14 and a half thousand students approximately on the preston campus i mean there are a lot more besides so it takes years to get yourself known and get and get people's trust 
So my role really looks like the institution in the sense that I've had to be a bit amoeba-like. I've had to blend in and, and, and not stand out and allow what I represent to be known through unorthodox ways by being alongside people. And that's the huge privilege of university chaplaincy, as I guess school chaplaincy is. It's being alongside people in their lives. And UCLan, as is society, UCLan is harshly secular. However, there is a spirituality amongst young people that is there, although often you have to dig, sometimes not too hard. But it's a ministry, as I say, I've been ordained over 40 years, and it's an environment I have I've never come across before. I've, I've always worked on the edge between church and society. But being completely immersed in society without the church, so as you know, as a, as a chaplain, you don't have a building, you don't have an institution. It's just you. It's down to you and what, what you can do and how you come across and what you say. So words are incredibly important. It's a pretty isolating experience, but it's just unique. It's an amazing privilege. One of the things that's important to remember about students is that they're on a journey of self-discovery whilst at uni. So being present during this time in someone's life as a chaplain can bring with it some challenging situations. Huge pressure on them now to succeed in a secular way. They come to university to get a degree, to get a job. Not all of them are going to be successful in that. So some students, are all they're concerned about nowadays, spirituality, it's gone. They, they just want the job, to live, to get a house, you know, to buy a car, to get married. And when I first arrived, when a student died, and sadly two or three will die every year because of the numbers involved, it's, that's the ratio, nobody came to the chaplaincy. No, nobody thought, it hadn't crossed the managers' minds that clergy might have any experience in bereavement or death. And maybe they just didn't want me anywhere near. I mean, that's changed, thank God. I'm in the loop now, and we we do take memorial services and sometimes funerals of students. And you know, the place where we do that is in the mosque in the faith centre because it's the biggest space we've got. So last year, I took the funeral of a Romani, humanist, gay student who'd caught some dreadful illness in the mosque with the imam sitting at the back. Me as a Christian priest, what a what a mixture! And the humanist chaplain was there as well, and the Buddhist chaplain was there, and we're all together, sort of. And it's about shared humanity, and that's maybe where we start, rather than with, "Oh, this is what I believe. Why don't you believe what I do? Because it makes your life better." We share, we understand where everybody else is, and we learn how to respect other people. Um, we're not interested in forming relationships or friendships with people so that we can get an end result, i.e. preach the faith. We live alongside each other and we look for the light in each other and we share that light with each other. And when it's right and it's appropriate, people ask leading questions. So there's actually quite a camaraderie within that. Huge. We've got a really good team at Ukraine. We're very, very fortunate. We all get on really well together and we have total respect for each other. And... Um, I find laughter helps an awful lot. So I'm often putting the leg of the, the imam. <laughs> He's got used to me now. Um, 
During Ramadan, I always remind him it's much easier being a Christian because Lent is so much easier than, than Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> you ought to consider. <laughs> I guess it's just a humorous aside. And um, we have that, that, good, that good kind of, you know, we, we, can, we can laugh and joke while, when it's right, being totally and utterly serious about our differences and what we believe. With the university being a very secular environment, it is really important to remember to communicate well. Yeah, you're right. Andrew spoke to us about the importance of using the right language when speaking with people who know very little or even nothing about Christianity or religion of any kind. You learn an awful lot about yourself and your faith and you learn about, you know, who am I? when all the trappings of priesthood or ordained ministry, whatever you want to call it, have gone. What can I say if I can't talk church or religion? Because religion terminology just, A, turns people off, but it's meaningless. I always say, you know, if it's your won't to say Jesus Christ died for your sins, do you realise that? It's a totally meaning, meaningless statement nowadays. It's totally, it means nothing. It means nothing to people. And it would just put the vast majority of people off. You have to find a new vocabulary. And when I was a parish priest, I used ecclesiastical vocabulary quite a bit. I tried not to, but you can't avoid it. In a university, as soon as you start down that road, you, you've, you've, you've lost your communication skills. So you, you have to find new ways of describing what you do or describing what you believe without the terminology. And that's really challenging. So one of, the, one of the greatest moments of my ministry was when a Portuguese student, Roman Catholic, fell through the door, as it were, and basically said, help. He was going through a really difficult time of his ministry. And he said, I'm, I'm going through this difficult time. I'm a Catholic. I think there's something in this Christianity, um, but I want you to tell me about it but don't talk about Christianity or the church. Leave those out. Now, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to talk about what we might fondly imagine is the real message of Christ before the church messed it up and it became institutionalized and all that stuff, yeah? I wrote him a 15-week course. We met for a week, uh, once a week and we talked about the basics of not Christianity or church teaching, but what Jesus was about, this new way of life that he was offering to humanity and modeling rather than the church. So that, that was quite a bit of work. And that was me reacting to, to somebody coming to me for help. And I've had people of other faiths come and say, my faith's not working for me. Can you tell me about yours? And you have to be really careful about that because there are huge sort of political sensitivities that go with that territory. But that happens too. So you can introduce uh, some folk to the faith so that they become members. And your congregation, in inverted commas, in a university changes every three years, of course, or thereabouts, or there are research students or whatever, foundation students. But the turnover is, is massive. So you can say something or be somebody with somebody in three years, and then they go. And you've no idea what happens to them or what happens next. I always used to say, if I was talking to 
trainee clergy or young clergy years ago, I would say never look for results, just so, you know, and it'll get watered and it'll grow or it won't grow, but it's not your responsibility actually. Just sow, sow the seed and leave it to others and don't look for results because if you look for results or success, I mean, Mother Teresa said, Jesus came to show us how to love, not to teach us to be successful. And the church chases success in the most shameful way at times. It's a fascinating one with, with this sort of about language generally, isn't it? Language at the end of the day has got to be right for your audience. At the end of the day, we can't just rock up and talk Christianese at a bunch of young people because they do just walk away. Like the, at the end of the day, your language has got to be right for your audience, surely. Yeah. And that's and maybe that's something that the church doesn't do so well. So maybe there's something there for a the lot of us. It's not just a principle for like university students. That principle is right and really important to think about no matter who you're speaking to, isn't it? Mm. Of course it is, like miss missional language is about context. It's about how do you communicate to the right people that you're seeking to connect with. Probably why we have different translations of the Bible, to be honest, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it communicates to different people in different ways, and but it puts into a language. It doesn't, it doesn't change the message, but it just communicates in a different way. Have attitudes towards chaplaincy changed over the years that you've been in post? I mean, it seems like from the outside that, that culture and society in general has become more secular. Does that translate? Like, do you see that also in university or do you think students are a bit more open-minded or does it, just, does it just reset every three years? No, I think the general atmosphere is hard, harsh, secularity. I think underneath that, people are spiritual still. They don't have any time for it. It takes a lot of time and effort and self-examination, appraisal, to get into it. So there's a massive investment if you want to develop the spiritual side of your life. And there are times in life when people are prepared to do that and can do it, and times when they can't. But by and large, you know, I thought the church was on the side, if you imagine uh, society is a plate of food, I thought the church, when I arrived at UCLAN, was on the side of the plate. It's not even on the table. It's not on the table. But I would like to think, and it's for others to say, not me, that UCLAN has become slightly less secular than it was. I'm not saying that the, the students have, because they bring their secularity with them, but in terms of accepting what we might stand for. I would like to think that the temperature is a bit warmer than it was. So there is hope, you know, it can be done, but we're using methods here that the church hasn't used for centuries, probably, generally speaking. It's really interesting what he says there about Christianity. If if a university is a society and it's a plate as a society is a place of plate of food, Christianity isn't even on the table. It's crazy to think about that, isn't it? It is really like, and I, I, th I think there's something in the church. We can get st stuck in a little bit of a bubble that we assume that, you know, 
and and you hear it still. People still say it, and, and I'm pretty sure politicians say it just to kind of fight battles sometimes. But like, this is a Christian country. But in reality, I think uh, chances are it's not only secular; it's probably post secular, and therefore we're a couple of steps beyond that. And therefore, it it, it makes thorough sense that that the church isn't actually on the table, but we still assume that we are. We're like the meat of that meal quite mm. often and that's what people are feeding on but actually it's it we really aren't and yeah that makes that makes kind of society sound like cannibals really doesn't it feeding on christianity but in christians but it's <laughs> but like, <laughs> that's where it is isn't it it's like that's the that's the that's the crux of where we are is that and therefore that's why like it's so important that not that not that we not that we show up and do church as we think it should look, but actually like look at how how do we communicate the love of God to people that have absolutely no clue, no preconception of what church is, who Jesus is, and like that that glorious space of a blank slate almost of no preconception. How do you communicate? As Andrew as it's so beautifully put, like almost kind of actually that gets us back to the root of what what the church first looked like. What does it look like to live out your faith in a space that has no preconceived idea of what you're about? Um, that's really exciting. That's really exciting. Um, because because actually secularism, yes, feels like it is anti-faith, but it isn't. As he says, it's like right under the surface. But secularism says there's not the space for that. There's not the space for spirituality, whereas actually in reality that we're seeing young people searching and that is that's exciting because actually that spirituality bubbles up you can't help it it bubbles up and there's a there's an interest and spirituality says there's something more how do i what what is it that's that's quite exciting in that sense and all of this points to a very interesting question is chaplaincy lonely good question yes in a sense chaplaincy can be very lonely while I'm surrounded by people and I'm constantly with other people I'm not lonely in that sense but in the sense of the church I belong to and have tried to serve for many years and the people in it a chaplain is if if a parish is the front line a chaplain works behind enemy lines you're on your own and the director of the board of ed has is I have to say, it's outstanding in the support he gives. And I know if I were to ask um, archdeacons or bishops or parish priests or whoever for help, I'd get it straight away. I've, I've no doubt about that whatsoever. But on a day-to-day -day basis, week in, week out, you're on your own and you have to be really strong. You have to have your own support systems. And you know, if ever you were to go into this kind of privileged ministry, I think that would be one of the things you'd need to be sure about, that you could cope with that. See, I have no position in the university. I'm just another person. I have no status. I'm not on a platform. I'm not on a perch that people put me on. I'm right at the bottom of a very large institution. Boy, am I glad to be there. What a privilege. What a privilege to be at the bottom on the shop floor with so many wonderful people, really.
given what given what Andrew said before about tables and not being on the table, actually that 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 image of churches being the front line and university chaplains being beyond enemy lines is just it's just such a good picture and you can understand why that would be so lonely <laughs> i know why you have to why it takes a particular personality and a kind of mindset to be there yeah it just highlights how important it is for churches youth leaders whoever it is to really support and uphold chaplains in prayer and and do what they can to help uh, with that really really important work we asked andrew how we can support chaplains uh, here's what he had to say all chaplaincies are different you, you won't find two models the same i don't suppose in the country university chaplaincies because they're all as you suggested, they're all shaped by the institution they're in. But if, if somebody wanted to support a university chaplain, they'd just ask them what they want. Churches would come to me and say, how can we develop a student ministry? And all I would say to that is provide some food. <laughs> Lots of the students don't eat very well because they can't afford it. But if you offer people food, you offer the opportunity to open up and have a conversation about anything. I mean, you don't offer food so you can talk religion to them or at them. You offer food to get alongside them and share share their lives so that they can share theirs with you. And I would always suggest that anybody who wants to look into that read Barbara Glaston's book, I Am Somewhere Else. Do you remember her? It's a Methodist minister in Liverpool who founded a new church around bread making. She just got people together to bake bread. And out of the, the experience of baking bread and the conversations that came out of it came a church in the loosest sense. And food and the sharing of food, I mean, it's central to our faith, isn't it? You know, feeding the 5,000, um, Last Supper, etc. It's right there at the heart. And it's amazing what happens when people share food, isn't it? Because you open up to each other. You begin to relax. So that's all we have time for for this bonus episode of Ufox State of Mind podcast. We hope you really enjoyed this interview with Andrew Clitheroe. We really, really enjoyed speaking with him. There was so much that he had to say that we couldn't uh, include in this bonus episode, but we hope that our chat with Andrew helped you understand a little bit more about a university chaplain's role and what they get up to in university and, and how we can support Support them going forward. Yeah, and all this talk of dinner tables and food has made me quite hungry. And and students make me think of pizza. So do you wanna Papa John's, Domino's, Pizza Express? <laughs> no Pizza Express for me, but I'm definitely up for some Papa John's. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to this bonus content for the Youth Work State of Mind podcast. It was a Blackburn Diocese Board of Education production. It was produced by Ben Green and David Harris with music from Purple Planet. You can listen to more of their music at purple-planet.com. Special thanks to Andrew Cliverow for joining us on this episode. For more episodes, show notes and excellent youth work resources, visit our website bdeducation.org.uk and make sure you follow us on Instagram at youthworkstateofmind to be kept up to date with youth work where you are. <laughs>